Well, good morning, church. Great to be with you guys this morning. Thanks for joining us today, especially if it is your first time or your first time in a long time here at West Bowles. You're our honored guest. A special season, special morning, special week. Uh, we're honored to be sharing all of it with you. Uh, I have to tell you, it was funny. When I came in and Ryan was doing those announcements, there, there was 14 inches of snow in the ground. There, it, was, it was like 10 degrees outside, and I had to hurt somebody. And he was just the first person that I saw. So Ryan, my apologies, but don't stand close to an exit door uh, after a snow day here at West Bowles. You'll, you'll get hurt by me. But hope you had a great week, a snow-filled week. Tell me, please tell me, that was a large snowstorm, right? Okay, thank you, thank you. Like, if that ain't large, you're looking for a new pastor next week, man, because I can't, I can't handle large. If that's miniature, whoo, doggy. But what a great week. We're going to have a white Christmas, no matter what. So that's an exciting thing. That's an exciting thing. If you're joining us for the first time this morning, we're in a series entitled, He Shall Be Called. And we're looking at a little Old Testament passage that tells us a ton about that little baby lying in the manger. And I'm glad that you're with us this morning for the third installment of that series. Just a couple of reminders, Christmas Eve, 4 o'clock, we'll be going over the fourth and final name in the series, the Prince of Peace. And then next week, we'll celebrate the year together as a church, reflect on all that God has done and all that he's calling us to do uh, in the next year. So I hope you'll join us for both those things. There are certain things in life, at least in my opinion, that should absolutely blow our minds, especially when you just stop to think about them. Take, for example, uh, driving a car. Do you realize when you were driving a car, you are more or less strapping yourself into 1.3 tons of metal, plastic, gasoline, and rubber, and then propelling yourself in a certain direction at ridiculously high speeds, all the while dodging walls, poles, people, and oh yes, other vehicles traveling just as fast that are coming straight at you. Y'all, we should be amazed when we get in that vehicle. We should be overwhelmed. How about electricity? Uh, you and I just flipped the switch and voila. But do you have any idea what it takes to make that happen? From the power plant that takes the raw energy of the coal or the gas and transforms it into usable energy, to the power lines that carry the energy, to the substation and transmission lines that distribute all of the energy, to the meter and the fuse box in your house, to the wires in your house, you flip that thing on and you power up your iPhone, that is a technological miracle. Every time you plug your iPhone in the next couple of days, I want you to be like, wow. Wow. Your friends and family might think you're odd, but just try it, okay? Now we could go on and on and on. I mean, microwaves, hot water in the shower, Bluetooth devices. There are some things out there that should just cause you to stop and give thanks. It should absolutely amaze you. But at the top of that list, at the very top of that list, should be the fact that God wants to be known. At the top of the list of things that should absolutely blow your mind and blow you away should be this, that God wants to be known. I mean, think about that with me. The God who rules the universe wants to know you. The God who knows everything wants to be known by you. Look at a couple verses that prove this to us. Psalm 1611. You hide everything from me. I have no idea what you're thinking, God. No, it says you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Psalm 98 too. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. 
Ephesians 1, 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us, with all wisdom and understanding. He kept things secret. Oh, he made known the mystery of his will. The mystery of his will according to his pleasure which he purposed in Christ. In Galatians 4, 9, but now that you know God, oh, better yet, Paul says, now that you have been known by God. God. Isn't that amazing? I mean, we should all be lying prostrate on the floor right now like, whoa, that's crazy. A car, pretty nuts. Electricity, no clue how that happens. We should be amazed by those things, but we should be utterly amazed that God wants to be known. I mean, think about this. Is our fly back? (laughs) Welcome, old friend. Hoping you froze to death on Tuesday afternoon. <laughs> Let's think about this with you for just a second. We, we are overwhelmed and typically surprised when a celebrity is nice to us, right? When like somebody in high places shows us some common courtesy. It's like, they were, they were nice to me. They were actually polite and said hi. Like they took their picture with me and Jewel ate my cinnamon roll. Right? Their kindness comes as a surprise to us because we expect people in high places to care less about us. But not God. Oh, not God. He wants to know and be known by you. And Jesus is the fullest expression of this. Jesus is there to prove this to you. John 1, 18. No one's ever seen God. But the one and only Son who is himself God and is in the closest relationship possible with God, he has made him known. He's made him known. After Beck and I first, uh, or bought our first house, we did what every newlywed, like, suburban couple does. We, we got a dog. Like, it's just an unwritten rule, right? After you get married a few months, you, know, you guys got, got a dog. Daisy, the three-year-old lab pit bull mix. Come to find out, she was 100% pit bull. Surprise! <laughs> Salesman. But when we first met Daisy at the adoption fair, man, she didn't know me from Adam. But over the course of the next couple of days and weeks, she was going to need to learn exactly who I was. Now, this wasn't going to take long. It wasn't going to be hard. But she needed to know me. Well, I was the belly rubber. I was the ear scratcher, the ball thrower, the poopy picker-upper, the disciplinarian, and the softy who let her sleep on the couch. But she didn't immediately know that. And if this whole relationship was going to work out, I needed her to know those things. More than that, though, I wanted her to know those things. I wanted Daisy to know who I was. I wanted her to know me. I wanted her to respect me. I wanted her to love me. Life was going to be much better when we had a better understanding of one another. And the same is true as it pertains to God. God needs us to know who he is because right off the bat, we don't. That doesn't come natural. It doesn't come easy. He needs us to know exactly who he is. But more than just needing that, he wants that. He wants you to know him. He wants to know you. When we know him more fully and more completely, we will experience life more fully and more completely. And although there's a lot to talk about when it comes to God, there's a lot to know about God. I mean, He's kind of a big deal. There's one thing in particular I think he wants you to know. If you only knew one thing about God, it's this one thing. Imagine that your teenager comes home one afternoon from school with a bunch of new friends. 
Uh, they walk into the house, drop all their stuff in the entryway, make their way to the fridge. They run into you in the hallway, and as a way of introduction, your kid points, out, points to you and says this to his friends. Oh, hey guys, um, uh, this is the lawgiver of the house. Oh, hey guys, this is the, uh, this is the disciplinarian of the house. Oh, hey guys, this is the, this is the ruler of the house. Hey guys, this, this is my biological creator. <laughs> then they proceed to eat you out of house and home, right? I mean, but tell me, that wouldn't cut you to the core. All your food being gone, that yes, but, but more importantly, that impersonal title. Tell me that wouldn't cut you to the core. Do those titles apply? Yes. Are they true? Yes. But wouldn't you want your child to primarily refer to you in a much more relational, much more loving, much more personal way? Yes. You'd want to be called mom. You'd want to be referred to as dad. Bailey came home with some friends one day and said, hey, here's the rule giver. It's like, I've done something wrong. Where did I miss the mark? Call me father. Call me daddy. Because when you say that, you're saying so much else, aren't you? So much more. I want to be known by that title. And I think the same is true with God. I honestly believe that in all the ways he wants to be known by you and relate to you, his favorite title of choice is that of father to you, father over you. We all know the baby lying in the manger had a name. That little baby's name was Jesus. It's a wonderful name, beautiful name. The choir just sang about that name. But this little Old Testament passage, Isaiah 9, 6, tells us 700 years before that baby was born, 700 years before he was given the name Jesus, he was given four other names. They're incredible names. And the pressure's on, church. I went down to, to the kids' hour at 10 o'clock. By the way, Shar is just doing some amazing things down there. If your kiddos are down there, they are just learning and meeting the Lord every week. We have teens serving and helping. But anyway, the pressure's on. They have this verse memorized. And you're supposed to as well. And I said, do you think I should challenge the older folks and have them recite it back to me like you just recited it back to me? They're like, yes! So if you're asked in the car, parents, to recite this, flip to it right now and get going. Isaiah 9, 6, unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Call these nicknames, call these surnames, call these middle names. These are the names that apply to that baby lying in that manger. And we looked at a few of them over the last couple of weeks, but there is one name, one title, one way to relate to God that I think he prefers above all the rest, and that's Everlasting Father. Now, most of us have heard and are probably comfortable calling God Father. If you spent any time in church, that's, that's normal. That's the language you typically use. God is the Father. So when that title is given to the Christ child, it kind of raises a couple of questions. How can God's son also be the father? It seems somewhat confusing to call Jesus daddy, don't you think? Just a little odd at first. Yet Isaiah is not the only one who encourages us to do this. It's not the first time we've heard about this. Jesus himself claims to be like and actually take on the nature and the role of the father. Look at this, John 10, 30. I and the father, Jesus says, we're our one. John 14, 9, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. See, Jesus equates his presence with the presence of the Father. He equates his love with the love of the Father. He equates his heart with the heart of the Father. Call this the epitome of like father, like son. 
But Jesus makes known to us the very nature of the Father and the nurturing heart and spirit of the Father. Look at John 14, 18. I will not leave you as orphans, Jesus said. I will come to you. That's the heart of a father, isn't it? I'm never going to leave you alone. I'm not going to let you go out there and have to figure things out all by yourself. I will give you someone to parent you because I love you as a parent, loves you. Or Luke 13, 34, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. That's the heart of a father. And that's the heart that Jesus has for us. See, Jesus is the fullness of the Father. He came with all the authority of the Father. He came on behalf of and in place of the Father. From believing in us, to correcting us, to challenging us, to teaching us, to loving us, to providing for us even in his absence, Jesus does exactly what every good father would do for his children. And then some. And that's why it's okay to call him everlasting father. Because he's made known the father to us. And he's drawn us closer to the father. Uh, let me see, I don't want to go nerdy, geeky preacher thing here, but just think about this just with the, for a second with me. Most of us are, are okay and have probably heard or thought before that, that Jesus is like God. Like, yeah, Jesus is like God. Jesus does things that God would do. He says things that, that God would say. Yeah, Jesus is like God. But have you ever stopped to think about the fact that God is just like Jesus? I, I just did something there. Make sure you understand what I just did right there. God is just like Jesus. What you see and feel and hear from Jesus is exactly what you can see and feel and hear from the Father. Look at this quote with me. God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. There's never been a time when God was not like Jesus. We've not always known this. We've not always known what God is like, but now we do. Now we do. See, most of us think that Jesus kind of shows us the loving side of God and maybe hides the other sides. It's like Jesus is God on a good day. Jesus is God waking up on the right side of the bed. I like that God. Yay, Jesus. The other God, uh, you're like evil stepbrother, Jesus. No, I don't like him. No. What you get in Jesus is exactly what you'll always get with the Father. That's who the Father is. So when you see Jesus with this tender embrace of sinners, when you see him forgiving, when you see him healing, when you see him loving, when you see him sharing, when you hear him laughing and see him crying, guess what? That's the Father. You're seeing the fullness of the Father in that moment. When you read about his heart, his love, his grace, his mercy, you're reading about the Father, the everlasting Father. And just like the original audience in Isaiah, for many of us, that good news couldn't come at a better time. That news could not come at a better time. You see, we've talked about this the last couple of weeks, but the people in Isaiah's day, they were living in shaky times. People who first heard about this, they were living in shaky times. The economy was shaky. The future of the nation was shaky. Their security and hope was shaky. Their leadership was shaky. Their faith was shaky. And people in shaky times need something stable to live on, don't they? They need something strong to base their life on. When everything else is going awry and everything else is going crazy, they need one constant. And God says, I'm that constant. My son will be that constant. So God came down. He said, I'll be that for you. I'll be your father. See, he doesn't come as this immovable wall. He doesn't come as, as this impersonal uh, force. He doesn't come as, as this, this mean dictator. He doesn't come like Herod. He could have come like Herod. Pompous, arrogant, and angry. He didn't come like that. He came like a baby. 
and I wonder, I wonder if he came like a baby because he wanted to show you this is how God feels about you. When God looks at you, this is what he sees. He sees his child. He sees his son. He sees his daughter. I don't know what you think of or what comes to mind when you think of God thinking about you. Sorry, I just said think like 10 times. But what do you think of when you think about God thinking about you? Some of you are like, he, just, he sees me like as a pet. He sees me as a business associate. He sees me as a bother, as a burden, some long lost relative maybe, some lab rat. I don't know. You know what he sees? He sees the baby in the manger. He sees his son. He sees his daughter. Why? Because he's the father. I wonder if he sent Jesus in that way to show us exactly how he feels about us. Little boy got lost in a corn maze one day on a class field trip. You've been in that situation before, right? Like, I don't know if I'm my left from my right, my top from my bottom in those corn mazes. So even though he's only surrounded by all of his classmates, he only knew to do one thing. He just screamed out one thing. I want my daddy. That's the cry of our heart too. It should be the cry of our heart. In the midst of all the crazy and all the chaos and all the mess and all the madness and all the relationships and all the presence and all the everything, I just want my daddy. I just want my daddy. And God says, I'm right here. I am your everlasting father, and I will always be here for you. When you make that cry, he's the one that responds to it. I mean, think about this. When asked how to pray, Jesus says this. This is how you're supposed to pray, guys. Father, and that's all he needed to say, because that says it all. When you talk to the one who made you, when you talk to the one who rules and reigns over all the earth, when you speak to that one directly, say this. Father. Oh, what a great word. Some of us have had horrible experiences with our fathers, from abuse to neglect to abandonment to hypocrisy, but God wants you to know him as the father. No matter, no matter how much baggage is associated with that title, he wants you to know him as that person that loves you with the strongest, deepest, most profound love there is, the love of a parent. He wants to be your protector, defender, instructor, champion, guide, coach, mentor, teddy bear, playmate, tickle monster, cuddler, movie watcher, math tutor. He wants to be that for you. He wants to be your dad. He wants to be your father. One of Jesus' greatest teachings gives us a little bit of insight into this heart of God, into the title of God as father. And this morning, I want to share the story with you, but I'm going to tell you a version uh, from Philip Yancey. A young girl grows up on a cherry orchard in Traverse City, Michigan. Her parents are a bit old-fashioned, tend to overreact to her nose ring, her music, and the length of her skirts. They ground her a few times, and one night after another fight, a huge blow-up fight, she finally screams out, I hate you! That night, she acts out on a plan that she's rehearsed many times in her mind. She runs away. She grabs her dad's wallet on the way out, and she proceeds to make her way down to Detroit. She assumes that no one will look for her in Detroit, and even if they do, they won't find her. Well, on her second day in Detroit, she meets a man who drives the sweetest Cadillac Escalade you have ever seen. He buys her some food, gives her a pretty nice place to stay, has her try some pills that make her feel wonderful. She was right all along, she decides. Her parents were stopping her from having fun and experiencing life. Well, this good life continues for a few weeks, even a few months, up to a year. That same guy, she now calls him boss, teaches her a few things that men like. And since she's underage, they're going to pay her a lot of money to do them. But after the first few signs of illness, the boss turns pretty quickly on her. 
These days you can't mess around, he says. And before she knows it, she's out. She's out of the penthouse and she's living in the outhouse. She's out on the streets without a penny to her name. She turns a few quick tricks at night, but they don't pay much. And most of that money goes to supporting her habit. She tries to sleep in the streets, but you don't get much sleep as a young girl lying in the streets of inner city Detroit. Her eyes are bloodshot, her stomach is empty, her body is ravaged, she needs a fix. And one night as she's lying on some old pallets behind some restaurant in a dark alley, she begins to whimper. She feels like a lost little girl all over again. God, God, why, why did I leave home? Why did I leave my dad? My dog back home is living better than I am. So she decides to call home, but no luck. She gets the answering machine. So she hesitantly leaves a message. Uh, Mom, Dad, uh, it's me. I, I was thinking, I don't know, I was thinking of coming home. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to catch a bus. I'm going to catch a bus tomorrow night. And if you're there, maybe we can talk. And if you're not, I guess I'll just ride it all the way to Canada. It takes about seven hours to get from Detroit to Traverse City. As you can imagine, all the what-ifs run through her mind during those seven hours. What if her parents were out of town? What if they didn't get the message? What, what if the answering machine was full? What if they were home, though? And what if they don't come? What if they don't show up? Her thoughts bounce back and forth between those worries and the speech that she's going to give to her dad. Dad, I'm so sorry I left. I'm a fool. I should have never said those things to you. I didn't mean them. Well, the bus finally rolls into the station. And her heart starts racing. 15 minutes, the bus driver says. 15 minutes and we're out of here. 15 minutes that will decide and determine the rest of this young girl's life. She tries to cover up her scars and her burns. She does her best to look pretty again. She walks into the terminal not knowing what to expect. And nothing could have prepared her for what happened next. There in the concrete bus station of Traverse City, Michigan, stands a group of 40 family members. They're all wearing goofy party hats and blowing noisemakers. A huge banner is taped across the back wall. It says, we love you and missed you so much. Out of the crowd comes her dad. She stares at him with tears flowing down her face. She starts the speech, dad. I'm so sorry. I should. He immediately interrupts her. Shh, he says. There's no time for that. There's no time for apologies. I love you and your home. And if we're, not, if we're not careful, we'll be late for the party back at the house. That's the love of a father, church. And that's the love that your father has for you. Your everlasting father. It's not only true right now. It's not just true in this story. It's not just true in this moment. It's not just true in this season. It's true for all of eternity. It's not just true on the other side of heaven or after you kind of walk through the grave. It's true right now. Our everlasting Father means that God will never take away his love from us. His patience, his kindness, his presence, his protection, his blessing, they are permanent. They're going to last forever. God ain't going anywhere. Neither is his love for you. Neither is his love for you. That's the great thing about Jesus, our everlasting father. He never outgrows us. He never loses interest in us. He never drifts apart or loses touch with us. He never chooses another family over us. He never gets distracted or forget about us. His love is never ending, goes on forever, everlasting father. 
And in a world where all good things must come to an end, isn't it nice to know that one thing won't? Your father's love, God's care, God's concern, God's covenant. All right, but here's the thing. There's one more thing I want to point out this morning, and we'll, we'll call it a morning. One thing I think gets lost in all of this, in addition to having this loving father, in addition to having this relationship here, right, this, this eternal relationship here, God as our father has also given us all these relationships right here. You see, if, if God's the father, if Christ loves us as if we were his own flesh and blood, that makes us, that makes us all family. Hey, that makes us all siblings. In 1 Peter, we read that another name for the church, the family of believers. So guess what? Like it or not, you're stuck with me. Yep. And the guy next to you and the girl behind you and the kid crying in the front, right? You're stuck. But if God is the Father, he establishes this everlasting relationship here. But as Father, he also establishes this everlasting relationship here. Think about it. He could have come as a teacher. And that would have made us all like classmates. He could have come as a judge, and that would have made us all criminals. He could have come in any different way, but why did he come as the father? Because he wants to make us all children. He wants to make us all family. Something hit me this last week. Do you, do you know what this is, this scene? Do you know what's happening here? Do you know what this actually was? This is the first awkward family photo ever taken. That's what this is. This scene is this right here. It's like, what the... Who is that? The nativity, it looks just like that. Think about it. People who are completely different from one another, who would never otherwise come into contact with one another, who don't even look like or even like one another, they come together and they celebrate and they enjoy one another. What, what in the world? Awkward, that's an awkward family photo. Shepherds? Angels, kings, a virgin girl, an overwhelmed young carpenter? Say cheese. God had a great day when that happened for multiple reasons. He was showing the angels, like, look at my family. God, these are weird people. I just have to, wow. <laughs> this is going to stress some of you out, and this is way out of our comfort zone and out of our norm, but I want us to do something this morning. In light of who our father is, I want us to know who our siblings are. I want us to take the love and concern that God has made known to us, and I want to make it known to one another. And that's hard to do if you don't even know one another. Am I right? So I'm going to try something, and, and you're free to talk bad about me at lunch. That's cool. What, and I'm used to that. But if you're willing and able, I'm going to ask you to move around a little bit this morning. We're going to have an extended time of meet and greet. If you're not comfortable moving around, that's fine. Stay put. Your siblings will come to you. And if you're in the balcony, first of all, good morning. Wake up. Yeah, all right. Good, good. If you're up there, hey, feel free to come down or mingle amongst yourself. Cross the tracks up there. What I want to do is I want to shake things up a little bit, and I want you to spend a few minutes getting to know your siblings. See, it's hard for us to understand that God is our Father, and that he's got this loving, personal, like, familiar relationship with us, but that's why he's given us this, to manifest that relationship. And until that day where we fully embrace our father, where we're kind of in that bus station with our dad, until that day where we feel his hug around us, we actually have each other. 
to express and show that for. So you can hug right now if you want to, but talking is just fine too. Um, so we're going to do it this way. On the screen, I've got four sets of groups. So we're going to do it like this. So down here, this like section over here, if you have a birthday, January, February, March, I want you to make your way down over here. All right? Then this section here, April, May, and June. Back there, we're going to do October, November, December, and then July, uh, whatever, you understand. J July, August, and September back here. All right? You remember, I, I think there's 14 months in the calendar year. So <laughs> January, February, March, April, May, June. Let's do July, August, September back there. It just makes more sense. And October, November, December. Go meet two new people, ask them their birthday, and say hello. Then I'll shake it up again in a minute. All right, let's, uh, let's do one more little uh, speed dating opportunity here. Thank you for sticking around. Those who left will not get Christmas cookies. Promise you, you will get extra Christmas cookies. Let's do this right here. Uh, TV and movie buffs, let's have you down in this section. Book lovers over here. Outdoorsy people in the back. And then you music folk over there. So mix one more time, meet two new people, find out their favorite hobby. Go. All right, well now it's just the big old jumbled family mess. Let's do, let's do one final grouping. Let's do this. Let's do Bronco fans right here and everybody else get out. That all right? That all right? See ya. All right, hey, let me pray for us as we close this morning. I want you to continue to, uh, to converse and enjoy one another. So let's pray. God, we thank you that you have given us a family. God, we thank you that you have made yourself known to us as our Father. God, you could have come down in so many different ways. You could have come down as a judge, as a ruler, as a teacher, uh, as, as a sheriff, as a dictator, but you came down as a Father. You want, your, you want to be known as Father, and so help us to know you as that. Even if you've had bad experiences with our dad, God, we pray that you will redeem and restore those relationships. Help us to know that you are the greatest father we could ever ask for, want, or need, and that we have you for all of eternity. And Lord, help us to know that you as our father creates this dynamic relationship with all the people around us in this room. Help us to realize we have a lot of family now. We have a lot of siblings, and you are the father of them all. So thank you, Father, for this group, for this gift of the church, for this gift of our siblings. Help us to invite others into it, those who are alone and afraid in this community. Help us to bring them in this week. Uh, to know you as dad and us as brothers and sisters. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have an amazing week. Don't forget 4 p.m. Christmas Eve. We'll see you then. Be strong, courageous.